Greetings, friends, and welcome to episode 12 of the Game Diplomat Podcast, a bite-sized show about great games you might have missed. I'm your host, Josh Augustine, and today I want to tell you about how I created so many evil bunny rabbits at once that I almost crashed a game servers. It all happened in Hex, a card game MMO with tons of solo campaign content and an insane amount of customization. It was created by Hex Entertainment and published by GameForge, and it was released on Steam in April 2016. That was its official launch, but it actually went into early access in 2013, and has released tons of updates since then, including two new huge solo player campaigns and five PvP car sets. But first, let's take a look at how you play Hex. So at its core, Hex is a card game, right? If you're familiar with Magic the Gathering or Hearthstone, any Yu-Gi-Oh, Pokemon, anything like that, you have a pretty good idea of just how the game works. You build a deck of cards, you put spells, troops, weapons, all the usual stuff inside of it, and then you take that deck into battle, either against AI and solo player campaigns or against other players in PvP matches. And in that match, you know, you'll draw cards from your deck and then you'll play resources and then you spend the resources to either play troops or spells uh, to kind of build up your side of the board. And then you use everything that you've built up to attack your opponent and hopefully take them down before they beat you. Um, so there are a lot of different modes you can play in. I won't describe all of them on the show. Like there's Gauntlet, which is similar to drafting in Magic or Arena and Hearthstone. Ranked Ladder, big weekend tournaments with big brackets with hundreds of players. Uh, but there's two big differences in mechanics of card games that I want to cover up front since it's a pretty core part of the game and will kind of maybe help you see how this is different than other card games. So most changes to cards are permanent. Um, which you really couldn't do in physical card games before because it's just too hard to track. Uh, so, but in this game, uh, if you buff a troop and it dies and it goes to the graveyard or it comes back to your hand, the buff stays on it, uh, which is pretty different from other major card games. And of course, they do have temporary buffs as well, but those are specified. By default, things are permanent. Um, and then the resource system is a nice twist. Um, so there's different kinds of thresholds, which if you're familiar with other games, it's similar to like different colored mana. Uh, and it's based loosely on different colored gems like sapphire, ruby, diamond, that sort of thing. The whole lore of the game has this power of like magical gems that are fueling magic. So you build up these thresholds and then when it comes time to play a card, uh, it requires that you've built up certain thresholds. So you must have played five ruby mana cards, essentially, before you play this. And it's like, okay... Um, and so the threshold is just a one-time check. In Magic, for example, if you played a bunch of mountains, every time you want to play a card that requires mountains, you have to specifically spend mountain mana. Uh, but in this, it's just a one-time check. Do you have five mountains? If this was Magic, it'd say, Would, do you have five mountains? Cool. Then spend whatever mana you want to play this card. Um, so it, it feels like a subtle difference at first, but if you, and if you don't know Magic the Gathering, it, all that probably made no sense at all. <laughs> but for Magic fans, hopefully you see the important distinction. And, and really the two big takeaways from it is it reduces the chances of getting mana screwed, uh, because you don't have to spend specific types of mana. You just have to play it once, then you're done with that requirement. And it makes it easier to play multicolor decks. Or in Hex, you call them multi-shard decks. But to play decks that have both diamonds and rubies, or sapphire and wild, that sort of thing. You can even play, It's even easier to play five-color decks. So hopefully that helps explain it for your card game buffs out there. And for people that aren't as familiar with card games, I'm sorry. You probably hated the last two minutes of the show. So let's move on.
now that you get a basic idea of kind of how the game works, let's talk about the seven reasons you should drop everything and immediately play this game. Number one, familiar gameplay. If you've played any card game, you'll be able to pick this one up pretty quickly. It's definitely one of the, on the more complicated end of the spectrum of card games, so if you like complex mechanics, lots of card text, tons of interactions, you're gonna feel right at home here. The combat in general is like magic. You declare which troops you're sending at your opponent to attack and the defender gets to decide what, the, what they want to block, who blocks where, or if they just wanna take it to face. It's the defender's decision. Um, there are instant speed spells. You can interrupt your opponent on their turn to do something. Um, you can also play constants or artifacts that sit on the board alongside your troops. Really, if you've played any sort of physical paper card game, uh, these should all sound very familiar. You'll, you'll feel right at home in these. If, if you're only familiar with like Hearthstone, for example, which is the most popular card game right now, it's definitely more complicated than that. You'll have to kind of learn to deal with the mana system because in Hearthstone you get the mana for free every turn. Like you just get one more guaranteed. But in Hex, you actually put mana cards in your deck and you have to draw them, but it lets you do more tricks with mana as well, which is interesting. Um, reason number two, they are innovating like crazy. So don't let the familiarity fool you, though. I, I don't want people to be like, oh, it's a magic clone and then turn off the show. This is not kind of just a rehash of what's been done before. It's not a stale game by any means. That familiar framework of the card game is just setting the base for Cryptozoic's mad scientist-like experimenting with what TCGs can do. I mean, they're really taking advantage of being a digital game and kind of pushing the boundaries for what they can do with that. So here are just a few examples of things that Hex has pioneered, at least as far as I'm aware of. I haven't heard of other games doing it before they did. Um, so they had cards that create new cards and put them in your deck. So there's a whole sub theme with like spider cards that would create spider eggs that go in your opponent's deck. And then when your opponents draw those cards, they burst open and spiders crawl out onto the board on your side. <laughs> it's really kind of creepy. And like Reginald Lancashire is this card that if he attacks your opponent and hits him in the face, he sneaks into their deck. And then if, if they ever draw that card, the opponent instantly wins the game. He's like, basically he goes into their fort and is fighting his way through their fort. If he makes it to the top, he wins. Uh, it's a really cool idea. Um, they also did buffing cards that buff, or sorry, cards that buff other cards <laughs> that are in your hand or deck. So like Prophecy is a coyote mechanic that buffs the next troop in your deck. Basically, they, they spout a prophecy. Oh, there's this crazy coyote coming and he'll defeat the bad guys, right? And so the next coyote in your deck gets huge buffs or when they come to play, draw a card, that sort of thing. And they have stuff that buffs cards in your hands as well. And then transforming cards. This is really interesting. Um, so let's talk about the Ascetic Aspirant for a second. It's a diamond card in the game. It looks like a monk climbing a wall. Um, and it's one of the first cards I ever loved when I started playing this game. is in the original set, you know, back in 2013 or whatever. Uh, so it starts as, as a 3-4 troop that can transform into the Enlightened Seeker. Uh, and the Enlightened Seeker is a 0-1 troop, so huge downgrade, can't attack, can easily killed, and it says you can't play cards. Well, that's awful, because the whole point of a card game is to play cards, right? So what's the upside? This guy says you draw an extra card at the start of your turn. Okay, but you can't play it. Boom. If you have seven or more cards in hand, transform this into the Transcended. So it's this monk who goes on this journey of enlightenment, right? And then eventually becomes the transcendent. He becomes enlightened. What does he become? So the transcendent is a 6-5 troop. It's okay. It's a minor stat upgrade. But it says whenever you would draw a card, instead, search your deck for a card and take that one. 
So every single turn, you get to choose the perfect card that you draw. So it's super risky, right? You have to transform this guy two times, and he goes through all these different phases and is very vulnerable. Uh, but the card itself is just one card, but it's a whole mini game because it can transform and do different things. And so that's probably one of the more complicated transformation cards in the whole game, but I, I find it really interesting. But some other examples like magical troops will turn into spells when they die and go into your hand. Uh, robots can work on blueprints, and then once the robots have basically built up the blueprint, it transform into giant machines of whatever the blueprint was. And then troops in training will upgrade it. Like if they get a kill and survive, they'll transform into a more powerful version of themselves. Um, so there's just a lot of really cool, subtle uses of transformation that just do things you would either be just too crazy to try and do in a physical card game, just track, um, but also just things you couldn't do. So, all right, some of the other things that they've been messing around with. Uh, permanent buffs and debuffs, we mentioned at the top of the show. Random card creation. This is really cool. When they say random, they mean random. Like, you can get cards from the PvE campaign boss encounters that are just crazy OP, right? <laughs> it's super fun. Uh, there's, it's just random means random. It's really It creates some really wild scenarios. And it's not just the cards, right? Um, they actually announced a huge change to opening card draw. So, again, apologies if you're not super into physical card games, because this next minute is going to be super boring for you, too. Uh, but anyone familiar with resource-based card games will know what mana screw is, right? The idea is, is when you don't draw enough mana to play the cards, uh, like if you only draw one mana the entire game. Imagine playing a game of Hearthstone with only one mana, right? You'd be super frustrated the whole time because you lose the game because you can't play any of your cards and you just sit there getting punched in the face. And that's kind of been a problem with physical trading card games forever. It's really frustrating. No one's really ever come up with a great solution. Uh, it's just been accepted as kind of that's part of the deal of this mana system. But in a digital game, there's no such thing as randomness, right? In video games, randomness is actually just algorithms that are built to simulate random results. Uh, so what Hex did was they announced this really recently. They modified their opening hand algorithm to remove the outliers. So that the really the really bad luck scenarios where you get mana screwed or your opponent gets mana screwed or mana flooded where all you get is only mana, they just removed those. So that you your opening hand is always going to be pretty balanced. Uh, it, it, it obviously works for both people, so it's fair. It's not like you're cheating or anything. It just it removes the possibilities of having a frustrating game, at least that type of frustrating game. So I'll post a link in their article in the show notes. They also posted their algorithm publicly so players could see how it works and give feedback. So if you're into like game dev or, or math at all, I mean, it's super interesting just to read through and see their algorithm, see what they do. Highly recommend checking it out. But I mean, this is just the sort of stuff the Hex has been doing. Like, it just feels like if they want to do something, they do it. <laughs> it's kind of fun. That's that's the fun with indie games, right? There's a small team with really passionate people that just have power to do whatever they want. And it doesn't always work out great. Some of the experiments X has tried doesn't work great. Um, but, I mean, it's always interesting. There are always new and creative ideas that you get to try out and just see how it works. Like in the live stream we did, uh, we talked about how w one of the campaigns, you basically take over a boat. You build a boat and have to run it through a dungeon. And you have a totally different deck, totally different powers. The whole thing, you, you are a boat. <laughs> and it's this totally different thing that just I haven't seen done before. And it's really fun. And it's, it's different. And at times it's frustrating. But Hex will always give you something new and different. All right, reason number three. 
MMO level customization. This is my favorite part of the game. So Hex defines itself as an MMO TCG, which is a crazy new term they totally made up, whatever. Uh, but what it means is that they want to have the collectability, progression, customization, and social aspects of an MMO. And it's not all there yet, not at all, especially the social aspects. The game is very much still a work in progress. But let's unpack the rest of the stuff and talk about what it actually means in gameplay. Oh, and I guess I should say up front, basically all the stuff I'm talking about today, if I don't clarify, it's about the PvE side. That's really the part of the game that I really enjoy. The PvP side, limited customization, they want to play fair playing field, all that sort of stuff. But I'm really into the PvE side where it's just wild. Anything goes. Uh, so that's what I'm talking about today. All right, let's talk about equipment. So every card in the game, essentially, has multiple pieces of equipment that you can collect. And equipment modifies what the card does. So it can do anything from adding one to the amount of damage that it deals to completely changing how the card works. And there are more than a thousand unique pieces of equipment in the game already. It's pretty crazy. Let's just look at a couple of my favorites just to explain. So I mentioned the spider eggs, right? I have a deck that's built around putting spider eggs in your opponent's deck. Um, and so I, I picked up a piece of equipment called the Arachnid Head Wrap. I got it from one of the dungeons I ran. And it, it goes with my Arachnomancer card, which is a wizard of of spiders which is kind of a scary wizard type if you ask me um it adds text to the troop card that says whenever you get a spider draw a card so it adds a ton of draw to that deck it's awesome in that deck wouldn't be great in every deck but for that deck it was perfect so i, I used that equipment and then for my hero's weapon slot in that same deck i have the terror touched blade and that's a card that says basically whenever i play my best card that adds spider eggs to the other deck it adds more spider eggs um, so it's really built just to make sure that my deck, the opponent's deck is always filled with spider eggs. And so equipment is worn on your hero. Like It's like an RPG, right? You have limited equipment slots for different types. You can only wear one hat, one chest piece, one weapon, etc. at a time. So you collect thousands of options of gear, but you can only use a few at a time for each deck. So you have to decide what's best for that deck you're making. And then also, based on the equipment you put in, it might change how good a certain card is, so you want to make sure you have more of that card in this deck now. Uh, it's just a lot of really cool options. And then talents. Let's talk about the heroes some more, right? So in PvE, you start by choosing a class. Cleric, Rogue, Warrior, or Ranger. Ranger was just added in the latest patch. And that class defines a lot of stuff, like what your special hero power is, uh, which is that thing you always have available to you. You can use a few times each game. And what talent tree you have access to. So like the cleric talent tree is all about healing and buffs for clerics and outlasting. And the mage tree is all filled with tricks and card manipulation. The warrior is basically punching in the face all the time. That's their talent tree. You get the idea, right? So this is the probably the biggest defining feature for your character. And one of the big reasons why your deck is more powerful in PvE than in PvP. Because you get all these talents that just let you build tons of crazy combos. Just really overpowered stuff. Because it's not just simple stat gains. You're not just like, get an extra health. Although they have stuff like that. They're big changes. They're like, hey, all your clerics gain life gain. And then whenever you gain life, this happens. And it's just like, oh my gosh, if I can build this perfect deck that takes advantage of this, it'll be out of control. Um... And it's cool. It's PvE, right? You're supposed to be overpowered. And so you just get to... There's tons of really fun deck building options. And then race. The other big thing you choose when you make your character is your race. Um, and that defines your starting area and your faction. But it also gives you some passive talents. Uh, and it's all chock full in flavor of what the race is about, right? Like the orcs, they're... Uh, their passives are all about fighting and dealing damage and that sort of stuff. And the undead are all about, you know, shards because they collect the gems and stuff like that. But coyotes, which are kind of like the Native American race, uh, they get a Zodiac Blessing card added to their deck. 
which is this super powerful spell that changes based on the real life Zodiac. So this blew my mind the first time I played it. Uh, it's really cool. So it's a spell and it'll be blank Zodiac. And it changes with the real life Zodiac. Uh, it, so it changes, I think there's like 12 or something or maybe 10 throughout the year. I don't know. Um, I'm not super into that sort of thing. But sometimes uh, like it'll summon a troop for you. Other times it'll give you an extra turn this month. And the next month it may change into sign that deals a bunch of damage. But it always costs zero and it draws a card. Uh, and then meanwhile, you know, elves have bonus chances to get stardust from dungeons, which make cards look pretty because that's what elves are into, right? And dwarves get random artifacts in their hand every game. Um, so there's almost, it's almost overwhelming, right? Like if you try and look at the big picture of deck building and be like, this is what I want to do. This is what it's about. It, it's almost too much. You need to focus in and just be like, I like elves. I want to build a cool elf deck and just focus on elves. Um, cause there's so much you can do like, there's so many different deck ideas, and even with a single deck idea, how many different ways you can build it with different equipment and different heroes. Uh, you could play this game for years and never be bored just building decks. I know because that's exactly what I've done. <laughs> I've been playing this game for three years now and basically just been building wild decks, and I feel like I haven't even scratched the surface on it. Uh, I have a few decks on my site if you want help just getting started uh, and just to get a kind of an idea of how crazy the combos can get. And you should watch the live stream too because we get some crazy combos in there. I think at the end of one game, I had almost 400 health and I hit the opponent for like 500 damage <laughs> at the, uh, the last turn. It was just crazy, right? All right, let's keep going. Uh, reason number four, solo campaigns. All right, we've been talking about solo player. Let's talk about what you do there because that's pretty unique too. The world of Entrath is big, and you can explore two big zones right now. So they've released two big adventure zones, is what they call the PvE stuff. And you explore the map, it looks a little like, do you remember the original Super Mario Brothers? Where like, there's the little dots connected by lines, and when you beat one, a new line opens up to a new dot. That's basically how you explore these maps. But each dot is an encounter, and defeating it, you know, unlocks pathways to the next ones. And encounters could be anything. It could be a fight, so a big combat fight that you have to beat a boss or a certain challenge. Or it can just be dialogue with someone where you interact, answer questions, try and convince them not to fight or provoke them to fight. Uh, there's dungeons uh, and cities to explore. And cities are cool. They're, there's panoramic views, essentially, of, like, they've made, like, panoramic art that you can, like, move around. And it looks like you're looking, spinning in a circle looking at this cool art. And characters standing around that you get to interact with and talk with, get quests, that sort of stuff in the cities. So there are some differences for races and factions at the beginning, but you're mostly fighting through the same content. And remember how I mentioned earlier that you can be overpowered in PvE? It's good because... You get just faced with some really tough challenges. Some of the boss fights in this are just crazy hard. Like, you've all played RPG campaigns, right? You get more powerful over time, so the bosses have to get harder and harder. And there's just all sorts of crazy rules, or they cheat or break the rules or surprise you. You have to beat three in a row. Like, they just throw all sorts of stuff at you. It's really cool. And actually, most a lot of combat encounters have, like, special rules on each board that kind of keep it interesting, right? So if you're in a burning castle... Uh, if there'll be a rule that if you get lit on fire, the fire grows every turn and damages you more and more and never goes out. But if you're in a wild forest, uh, it, it might be saying like playing a wild card will give you a chance to summon a fairy for your side. Uh, but if you're in a drug-induced dream fighting animal constellations in the sky, which is the very first dungeon in the game, um, everyone may draw an extra card each turn or something like that. Uh, and so these little changes just make the combat feel fresh and just kind of surprise you at every turn. So it doesn't feel like you're just grinding the same thing over and over. 
So, all right, I know this this episode's crazy long. I'm sorry, I'm dumping a ton of info on you, but this is like a huge game with so many different stuff, and I'm only talking about PvE. I haven't even touched PvP. So here's the two big takeaways. Go watch the live stream. <laughs> See the PvE campaign in action. Um, and personally, I mean, I'm totally hooked on Hearthstone and Hex. I talked about this early on. I play a lot of games, especially for like competitive stuff, but when I want solo player campaign for a card game, this this is the best. There's just there's no comparing to the other ones in this aspect, right? It may not be as good of an overall game or whatever, some of the other ones, but if you want a solo player card game, this just offers so much stuff. Oh, and you better love deck building. So <laughs> there's another caveat. You want a solo player card game that has infinite deck building and will reward you for being creative with deck building. There's no comparison. This game will keep you hooked for years. Uh, it's awesome. All right, reason number five going into like the 40 minute mark of the show <laughs> dungeons and gold farming uh so the solo ca- the solo campaign i'm totally guessing right because i haven't kept track it's probably 40 hours maybe more especially if you if you have trouble in some of the dungeons maybe 50 hours to play through it again wild guess because i've put in hundreds of hours so i i just i have no idea of what it would be just to race through it if that's all you were doing and let's talk about uh, why I put hundreds of hours in, and that scary G word that I love, but many people hate, grind. So there are some repeatable dungeons and challenges in PvE. You unlock dungeons as you explore the world and discover you get a quest to go beat it, and then you can go back and play through them anytime. And they each have different settings, themes, enemies, special rules, all that sort of stuff, right? And some faction, there are two factions, and there are u- some unique dungeons for each, which help tell their story, like the bad guys raid the good guys, uh, and that sort of stuff. But inside the dungeon... You basically open up a whole new map with connecting dots, and you can choose the route you want to take. Do you want to try for the full clear? Do you want to go for the shortcut that's really hard or take the long way that's easy? Do you want to opt into the side fights or just move past them, rush straight for the final boss? Um, there's just a it's a mini zone, essentially, to explore. It's short. you know, It's maybe like an hour, hour and a half to play through the whole thing. It's anywhere between, you know five to ten encounters probably in each dungeon you could play um and each of them give each encounter gives unique rewards and has a rare chance of course for the you know the legendary drops just like in rpgs right so you're encouraged to run the dungeon multiple times and the ultimate boss at the end is super challenging usually has really weird rules or special mechanics or something to make it different and so right now it's all solo player they've said in the future they want to add co-op raids as part of their kickstarter pitch where you play with one other person and, and play through dungeons together. Uh, but right now, you just grind them solo to to get tons of loot and gold, right? Like, I've probably run a, over 100 dungeons. Uh, there's probably 10 or 15 different dungeons, and I've run them over 100 times just to get that sweet, sweet loot, right? It's just RPG fever. <laughs> you you got to keep progressing, get more XP so your character levels up and gets more talent points, then gets more gear and more cards. You can build your deck. Oh, it feels so good. You're God. And you could go back to the level one dungeon and just stomp them and feel awesome. But let's jump to the next one. Reason number six, the auction house. So this is why you grind those dungeons, right? This is why you want the gold. Other than just getting, you get tons of free cards from the campaign directly, which is awesome. And that's why you run dungeons and stuff. But you also get tons of gold. And gold is nice because all the cards in the game are tradable. There's an auction house built into the client. So if you want that special legendary card, you just buy it from some guy that opened five copies of it, right? Luck balances out across the masses. Um, and so you, if you, when you don't want to play your favorite deck anymore, you just sell all the cards and then buy new cards to build the next deck you want. 
Um, it's just really cool. And of course, the best cards in the game, it's an auction house, right? The best cards are going to cost tons of gold. And you'll have to farm a while to buy them. Or you can always pay real money if you want to. You don't have to, but you can. But for the thousands of other not best cards in the game, you could just buy them for tiny amounts of gold because they're common. So everyone has tons of copies of them. So they're super cheap. Most of them are less than 10 gold on the auction house. Uh, the dungeon that we, we ran in the live stream, I think I got over a thousand gold. So I could buy, what, a hundred <laughs> commons for that one little dungeon that I ran. I think it was like 40 minutes or something like that, maybe shorter. And what's awesome is that for PvE, especially early on, you could build great decks with just the commons. Just buy commons. And then once you've built your deck out and you're like, oh, you know, there's one card that would really make this card, this deck better. And then just pinpoint those couple really expensive cards and buy, spend a few thousand gold or a few hundred thousand gold even on the best ones. And buy those cards to add into your deck. But most of your deck can just be free commons. Or essentially free. It's 10 gold, but that's free. Come on. Um, I have a guide on the site that actually walks you through it. I wrote it a couple years ago. Uh, it shows you the UI stuff and tricks for using the auction house. Um, so check that out. I mean, I've already collected almost 5,000 cards for free. I mean, it's really, really generous with giving you free cards in this game. For PvE. Like, I, I think I mentioned this on the live stream. I don't know if I mentioned it here yet. It's so long, I forgot. Um, if you want a top tier PVP deck, that's going to cost you several hundred dollars. <laughs> uh, but for PVE, you can easily play for free. And so that's one of the big reasons why I also recommend just the solo player side of this game. It's free. Play it. Have fun. It's awesome. All right. Reason number seven, holidays. There are tons of them in the game and this episode is crazy long. So let's just move on. <laughs> uh, all right, fine. A little bit. Holidays happen once a month, and they're themed on in-game lords, things that are happening in the world. They're super quirky and fun, and they always give rewards. The, dev is, the devs are super clear about where those rewards come from, how to get it, and they make sure to give rewards for PvE, PvP, and all sorts of stuff. So you're never forced to, like, play something that you don't want to. Phew. All right. This is definitely going to be the longest episode of Game Diplomat yet. Maybe ever. Hopefully ever. <laughs> But that's okay, right? Because I think it's been like a month since our last episode because of the holidays and me moving over to Blizzard, all that sort of stuff. Crazy stuff. So I hope you don't mind the long episode this time around. I've also got a lot of people asking about this episode in particular because they're excited to hear about more about Hex. So I wanted to share more. This is really just the tip of the iceberg. If you want more information, come to our Discord channel. There's a link on GameToTheMat.com. I would love to talk about games with you all the time. We have like 15, 20 people in there talking games. Let's talk about Hex. creepy music is uh so i was pulling music for this episode and that's actually the music when you you have to break into a mausoleum that so the undead in the game are zombies right but they're zombies basically what happens is the gems have magic and if you put the gems in the eye sockets of a corpse it turns into this undead zombie and it becomes alive and sentient and all that sort of stuff um and so you have to break into a mausoleum a royal mausoleum of the humans where the undead necrotic have started taking over like old kings and stuff which obviously is blasphemy to the humans 
So you have to break in there. So you're breaking in this mausoleum with zombies everywhere. So I mean, I guess the somber music is pretty appropriate for that. All right. All right. So if Hex sounds like fun, you can buy it for, wait for it, $0. It's free to play, right? And it, like I mentioned, it's very generous with earning cards in game. As long as, as long as you aren't like compulsive and needing to own every card and you just want to play the PvE side, you can play for free forever and do just fine. I'm 100% confident in that. Uh, links are on GameDiplomat.com along with everything else we talked about here and a video of me playing through the dungeon, showing off the talent trees, the characters, the ships, all the sort of stuff. So you can check it out there and see if you're interested or if it looks like a game you might be interested in. Alright, so let's give away some free stuff in the game. So you can't really give away copies of the game because it's a free game, but Hex actually sent us five keys for Evolution Gauntlet that we get a giveaway on the show. So Evolution Gauntlet is cool. It's one of the PvP formats. Uh, if you're if you're familiar with magic, it's similar to drafting, but it's like a spin-off on drafting or Hearthstone like arena. Um, so you open some packs and you build a deck from them. And then you play against someone else that did the same thing. And then as you win, every time you win, you get more packs to open and add to your deck so that you can make your deck better. And then so you play all the way up to five wins or three losses. And you can play anytime you want. You can take breaks for days or weeks or years. And you keep all the cards you open. So the more you're winning, you're opening more packs, getting more cards. You keep all the cards you open, and you can build decks with them later too. And then you get bonus rewards if you get all the way to five wins or three losses, you get kicked out as well. Um, so all you have to do to enter the contest, like always, is just answer a simple trivia question. And you can win one of the five keys for that. Uh, which of these races is not in Hex? The Shroomkin, Adorable Mushroom People. The Shin Hare, Evil Murderous Rabbit People. The Pippet, Hallucinogenic Fox People. Swizzle, Mischievous Fish People. Or Yaks, Boring Plain Animals. Nothing special there. What do you think? Email or tweet your guest to me. Links on GameTipMat.com. Or DM me in our Discord channel. Uh, I'll keep track. Wherever, if you contact me, I'll get you on the list. And the correct answer to last week's trivia question about one-eyed fish in Subnautica was I. Congrats to Callum Orr, who correctly answered and won a copy of Subnautica, which is an awesome underwater survival game set on an alien planet. You can learn more about it in episode 11. If you enjoyed the show, you could tell your friends about us. Or leave a review on iTunes, tell your internet friends about us, essentially. Or join our Discord channel and, and Steve group and become our internet friends. You can also donate money to support the show on GameDiplomat.com forward slash donate if you're super into it. And just to reassure anyone that also listened to Happy Hearthstone, because I am leaving that show, um, this show will be continuing on, in theory, forever. Till the end of time, this show will get a new episode. Um, so I got a job as a quest designer on World of Warcraft at Blizzard. I'm super excited about it. Um, and they're going to let me keep doing this show and tell you guys about awesome indie games out there. I'm really thankful to them for letting me do that. Uh, I'm really happy. I think this is an awesome show, and I'll get to put more time into it now. So as a part of that change, this podcast is no longer going to be a part of the MMO Reporter Network. You might have noticed the little five-second intro at the start is missing. Um, but also, if you're downloading my show from them... Uh, you just need to update your feed to GameDiplomat.com. If you're on iTunes, Google Play, anything like that is already taken care of. Don't worry about it. Don't have to change a thing. But if you manually go to MMOReporter.com, come to GameDiplomat.com instead for this show. And of course, you can still over go over to MMO Reporter for their shows. They're awesome. They took care of us for a long time, so do that too. But GameDiplomat.com, it's the cool place. All right. No matter what, though... <laughs> 
Thanks for spending your long, long time with us on this episode. I hope you found a fun new game to play. And in the next episode of Game Diplomat, we'll talk about Hero Generations, a turn-based RPG where every turn is a year of your hero's life. We'll see you then.